You know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is oh so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com etm. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash E-T-M. Go to joindeleteme.com slash E-T-M and use code E-T-M for 20% off. Hey, I'm Shauna Game. This is Millennial Money, and today we have a Millennial Music Chat with Drew Holcomb. She was a good companion, eyes like the Grand Canyon. She was an American beauty. She was a long goodbye. She was the best I lived by. She was an American beauty. With her wafers on in the summer sun, her touch felt like a loaded gun. 
wish I had held her longer. Wish I had held her longer. Hey there, and thanks for joining us this week on Millennial Money Lifestyle Thursday and what we're calling our Nashville sessions of musical guests. You may have heard Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors music on such TV shows as Parenthood, How I Met Your Mother, and Nashville. This Memphis-born and now Nashville transplant has been making a big name for himself and even touring with such big acts as the Avid Brothers. Drew is one of those laid-back guys that you just want to sit down, have a beer with, and talk about your love of music. He's also one talented singer-songwriter who has a new album due out in March, as well as kicking off a national tour later that same month. Last week, Sean and I sat down with Drew Holcomb at his Nashville office to talk about his new single, Wild World, playing the Stagecoach Festival in California this year, and singing a Ryan Adams song in front of Ryan Adams when he was a young performer. So enjoy our conversation with Drew Holcomb from Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors. Okay, cool. So, Drew, thanks for coming on our show on Millennial Money. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, it's been a minute since your last album, Medicine. Uh, I saw on social media that you're working on a new new music. Uh, so, how's that going, and when we might see it out coming out? Yeah, it's going great. It's uh, the new record's finished. Uh, we recorded it in uh, November, mixed it, and mastered it over the holiday, and um, sent it into the presses, if you will, vinyl and. CDs, we still print a few CDs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it comes out March 24th or 25th, somewhere in there, whatever yeah. that Friday is. Right. So yeah, it comes out in just, just a couple of months. Awesome. Can we expect, is it a different sound or it's in the last couple albums or is it kind of around the same? It's, you know, it's, I think it's a, like, hopefully it's a progression. Um, a couple of big differences between this record and the last one, uh, I co-wrote with my band for this record, mm-hmm. so it has a lot of their fingerprints on mm-hmm. it. Okay. Uh, they tend to be uh, quite a bit more musical than I am, just in terms of arrangements and stuff. So it's it's got more of a um, more of a Beatles vibe, more of a seventies kind of uh, you know. There's just a lot of a lot, a lot lot more going on, but I think the heart of the record is still uh, still my voice and still um, uh, similar you know kind of point of view. Uh, but it, it definitely was fun to have. More cooks in the kitchen. Mm. We got a little. Obviously, that usually gets messier, which is which is good. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I mean, was that a natural progression? You guys just kind of did it that way, or was that you, you were kind of well? Honestly, I kind of, I kind of, after medicine, I kind of hit hit the wall, and yeah. I, didn't, I felt like I was out of, I was out of gas, and I was out of things to say, and I needed to bring in some help, you know. Mm. And uh, Rich and Nathan, my two long term bandmates, have been guys that know me and and, and know my point of view probably better than anyone else besides maybe my family. And uh, I just said, guys, I, I, I need help. I need y'all to start writing with me. So we started meeting every every Monday morning mm-hmm. whenever we weren't touring, and we'd start writing, and we'd mm-hmm. write until the end of the day and came up with, with a lot of the stuff that ended up being on the record. And from that, I piggybacked and was able to go out and write my own, like write alone as well for mm-hmm. the record. So it's a good mix. But, um, yeah, you kind of, you know, you hit the end of the road, and you kind of say, what's, I don't know, I don't know what's next, and right. you know, look right. around and see who's standing there with you. Right, right, exactly. Well, I do love the uh, single that you you put out um, pre-election, the, yeah. the Wild World. How did that come up? And because you you also mentioned that um, you feel kind of confused as an American this year. Um, sure. I mean, how did that come out? That, that album, they that single, I should say. Yeah, well, I wrote that song uh, a couple of months before the election. The, the intention was to save it for the record, but it felt like knowing that the record wasn't going to come out for the spring, that 
lot of the point of view of that song would have been a little bit lost. I mean, I don't I certainly don't think it's lost now, especially with the results of the election. Maybe more pertinent than ever. Um, but yeah, I just think uh, the kind of level of discourse that we've seen in the last year and a half is is, is reached levels that I never thought I would see. Mm-hmm. It's been incredibly um, uh, d- disappointing for me, and and I never been a political artist uh, like real openly mm-hmm. you know I think a lot of times music for people is a way that they they like to kind of center their life and step away from the chaos of, of politics and, and personal drama mm-hmm. and try to make sense of some of the like core things about who we are mm-hmm. you know um, but at the same time at some point you have to you just I felt like I had to say something mm-hmm. and, and that was sort of my uh, something to say. Right, right. And yeah, that's cool black and white video to go along with. <laughs> well, thank you. That was really thrown together. I was like, this song's coming out next Tuesday. I called a buddy. I was backstage at the Country Music Hall of Fame mm-hmm. for an event. I was playing two songs and I had like two hours in between sound check and when I performed, I was like, hey, can you come in this little green room and shoot this video? And put it out. I was really, really just literally, literally like 48 that. hours later. Yeah. It looks cool. Well, so. thank you. Yeah. Like that's all his, his doings. Right, right. Um, so the term Americana, it, it, it's used a lot more recently and stuff like that. Um, but you've been making music for a while. Can you describe your sound and, and or, or do you kind of try to label it one way or kind of evolve in different, different sounds all the time? Yeah, I think. You know, when I first started out, people would say, what is your music? And I would say, like, oh, it's like folk rock. You know, I didn't really have a, like, the Americana category at that point was sort of meant more like bluegrass, and it was a little more of a smaller tent. Yeah. And kind of in the last decade, I, I kind of love that that term has become, as grows and grows every year in terms of what fits under that, you know, under that umbrella. So, uh, yeah, for me, I think that, like, I just kind of define myself as a singer-songwriter and you know the way we record is and the way we play live is that everything that you hear live and that you hear on the record was performed by a human Hmm. you know in the real in a real in the real moment and um so there's like there's there's uh, i've always thought of americana music as kind of this like um music with warts music with honesty you know um we don't we don't go in and fix drum tracks and put them on a grid and right. um, we don't replace people's performances with com- with computers and we don't tune my vocal. Uh, it's kind of like let's do it till we get it right and then and then uh, put that out as like a as like because all my favorite records are like that. You know, you hear about the way Tupelo Honey is recorded or the way that National Skyline is recorded. And it's like get a bunch of really good musicians in a room who love songs and great things happen. You know, and yeah, Americana, I guess, is is a good kind of word for all of that. But uh, yeah, we're, we're glad to be in that family, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and now, you know, there's so many groups that were, you know, like even like a Wilco or a Dawes and stuff like that can almost be yeah. in that, in that totally. band too. And totally. Stuff. And, and they've been bluegrass or alt country or yeah, whatever. Yeah, alt country. <laughs> so I used, that's what I used, yeah. I used to get that tag, yeah. you know, and then. It's funny though because I never like was a country fan. Even I mean, I, there's I, I respect the medium mm-hmm. and the genre, but if you're like you know, Drew, name your top ten concerts. Like probably none of them are going to be country shows. <laughs> right, like, right. I just didn't listen to that growing yeah, up. Yeah. I, was, I was listening to 
Radiohead more than I was listening to you know right. George Strait. Right. Uh, but I did fall in love with like some of the songwriting in country music, and it, yeah, it's just interesting how like the, even the, the all the genre barriers have sort of melted. Right. But you, but it's also like that's only true for people who pay attention to music a lot, right? <laughs> you know, people that sort of like music yeah. still think in terms of like. You know, like if I meet somebody on the airplane and they're like, what kind of music do you make? And I'm like, well, it's like Americana. They're like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> are, are you country? And it's like, are you rap? You know, right, and it's right, like, right, right. no, are you pop? It's like, yeah. no, well, man, you know, like there's a little bit of pop because I love the Beatles. And, you know, it's, it's just like, it's, it's a great, it's kind of a great puzzle. Right. It's, no one can really solve. Right. You just stop and just say, I'm, I'm rap. Yeah. yeah. I'm my, my wife just started saying, They'd say, what kind of music does your husband make? She goes, it's just good. It's good music. <laughs> you know, I was like, exactly. oh, thanks, sweetheart. That's, that's very kind. Exactly. Um, but So you grew up in Memphis, uh-huh. and obviously people think of one dude when they think of Memphis, as well as blues and stuff like sure. that, Elvis and stuff. Who were you listening to besides like Radiohead and stuff like that that kind of made you want to be a singer? So I think I was listening to all kinds of music as a kid. I mean, anything from Ben Folds and Bob Marley to, um, you know, whatever was on the radio, Savage Garden or whatever, you know, I mean, it's like kind of whatever, and then whatever came through town at the Beale Street Music Fest every year. But I didn't really get into songwriters. My dad was a big Dylan fan, and he was a big fan of Al Green, you know, uh, which another great songwriter. Um, So those two were kind of in the blood, and then in high school, the songwriter that really first captured me, made me want to emulate him, was David Gray. Uh, I was a junior in high school, driving to see my, my our senior high school. I was driving down to see my sister, who was a co- college freshman down at Ole Miss. It was midnight, and a friend of mine had ordered his CD from Columbia House, UK. It was $28. <laughs> you couldn't even get it in the States. Right, right. It was White Ladder. Right. And I was just like, man, there's like all this soul and storytelling and emotion in his voice and acoustic guitar super simple and I just was like man I want to do something like this and then from there I introduced to Whiskey Town Ride Adams Patty Griffin uh, Amy Lou Harris Springsteen Tom Waits and it was literally like every time you open a door you go into a room that's full of all this amazing music and there's eight more doors mm-hmm. you know and that's been the last 20 years of my life right yeah David Gray is, is definitely one of our favorites we, we yeah. went to one of his concerts a couple years ago Thinking, oh, you know, his album's great. Like, all right, this will be a good show. And he just blew us away live. I mean, it was just amazing. Yeah, it's such a great voice, such a great stage presence. Big, like, big epic songs. Yeah. You know, there's like a melodrama right. that I appreciate in earnestness, right. you know. Right. Like, shine. You know, right. it's yeah. like, if I don't sing this song right now, I'm going to die. Right. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So both you and your wife, Ellie, obviously are musicians. She recently put out an album. You have a family as well. You know, how do you balance that all, being two musicians and, and having a family? And yeah. uh, Is that tough to do? Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, um, you know, you have this, like, traveling lifestyle, but you also have the reality of kids. I mean, like, last night, even... Um, Ellie had a rehearsal all day this morning, and last night, Amy Lou got a stomach bug and was up all night, and so Ellie's going to rehearsal on three and a half hours of sleep, you know, um, we're both, 
you know, managing touring and interviews and all these things that, that uh, kind of are, are, the, are part of the job of, like, wanting people to know about your music and wanting people to show up at your tour. Um, but it's really just a matter of, like, it's a lot of juggling and a lot of patience for each other, uh, you know, because I think the marriage is the, is the like, fulcrum that takes the most pressure and so you have to like really be on the same page and and remind each other we have this thing we say to each other I'm not your enemy you know and it's been a really helpful way for us because she actually toured with me for eight years so that's one of the beautiful things about our relationship is she knows the road and she and she knows music and she knows the the tests that that are out there and the and the lack of sleep and the beat up the being your body getting beat up from traveling and she has a lot of wisdom and patience for that. So, but like anything, it takes a village. I mean, you know, we've got a great team of people. And, uh, one of the things I love the most about doing music is that I never thought I would love. is just like the practicality of, uh, human relationships that make music work as a career, you know, uh, tour managers, drummers, merch guys, booking agents, sound guys, security people. I mean, these are all people they got into the music business because they love music and yet they still have to sustain. So we always joke about like, you have these dreams. Like for me, it was becoming a musician and your dream comes true and you're getting to do it and you're making a living. And then the hard part is managing a dream come true, you know, because there's a whole load of disappointment and frustration on the other side of Mm -hmm. anything that you love. If it comes true just as much as there is, if it doesn't. And so, I think for us, we just have lots of open communication between each other and and with our band and with our management. And um, as we've gotten older, we've toured less and focused our touring more and learned to say no to things. And um, more than anything, kind of like make decisions and let the chips fall and not try to micromanage everything after the decision's been made. Right. Right, right. Is she going on the road with you too? Coming up, she's not. Yeah, no, I mean, she'll come out occasionally, yeah, right. but no, she's she's got quite a bit of her own work um, on the books, and then also she, you know, likes to be home as much as possible with the kids. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of live shows, you uh, the last album you had was to your live at the Ryman. How did that come about, and why did you want to have a live album coming out? Yeah, well, we recorded that whole tour just because our, our sound guy. Thomas is, is had the capacity. He's like, well, I'll just bring a Pro Tools rig and mm. the same board every night we rented, you know, for the tour. And um, so we recorded every night, not with any intention of like maybe we're gonna do like a medicine live, you know, not knowing if we mm-hmm. do a like, particular show. Mm-hmm. But we came off stage at the Ryman. It's like dream come true venue, right. number one venue on the bucket list. Right. The night felt absolutely magical, and we're coming off stage and. Rich, my bass player, who's a very, like, non-emotive person, <laughs> comes up to me, gives me a big hug, which I don't think we've given, he's given me a hug <laughs> ever before, gives me a hug, pulls back, and with tears in his eyes, he says, that's the best damn show we've ever played. <laughs> and then I said, well, a couple of months later, I was like, well, I wonder if we should release the, that show. Mm-hmm. And Rich and Nathan were like, I don't want to ever hear it. Like, I have this mythology in my mind of what it sounded like, and I don't want to hear it. And I was like, well, I think I do. So I, so I told Thomas, I said, you go listen to it. Tell it, if it is as good as, you, as we think it is, let's talk about it. If it's not, just tell us, guys. 
There's some problems with the recording. (laughs) (laughs) And he called me a couple days later and he said, man, you've got to release it. It's it's as good as you thought it was. So, you know, it wasn't, we didn't have some master plan of releasing a live record, but we've never released a live record. And that show just felt like the the one to to release. And it's, it's been fun to have that for fans and, and, uh, with this record club we do, we have a um, subscription-based record club that I started, yeah, yeah. and we really did it in a lot of ways for that because we have you know a lot of subscribers and we got it printed in gold vinyl and people really responded well to it. Just kind of a moment in time, you know. A lot of records in a lot of ways are very like self-indulgent, yeah. Um, but thankfully, people have responded well to it. Well, I think that, I think it's causal changing, too, especially, like, how, like, a Third Man Records or other places you can get live mm-hmm. recordings and stuff and, and how they're different and, and they look different and, and, and how huge vinyl is, is is crazy. I mean, because I grew up with vinyl. Yeah, and it's then, blown the back up. And then now all the young kids are like, oh, wait, what's this vinyl stuff? And they listen to them. It's like, wow, it's just, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, I think people are just, like, young people especially are, are, like, searching for something physical and tangible that they can, like, identify with mm-hmm. you know and they're like yeah. it's a way to say like I don't just kind of like music yeah I love music right you know right. I think that's really neat right what's the best part about playing live for you uh, for me it's it's like the translation of the songs and looking at people and seeing some of them respond and, and realizing that actual people have let your music into their life mm-hmm. you know and you're kind of going like you hear these stories like when I was in the hospital I I gave out my P.O. box and people wrote all these letters about, I asked the question, like, how'd you hear music? I'd love to, I'm going to be sitting on the couch for three weeks. Like I'm reading through these letters from people and it's like, I heard your music through uh, my friend when he was going through a hard time. He gave me this mixtape and you're on it. Or I was watching this show when your song came on or my dad got cancer and your record was our soundtrack in the hospital and he's doing better now. And you know, just hear all these stories about stuff and you realize like, these are the people that come to the shows. Like, you know, I would say at this point, because I've been doing this long enough, like, there's not a lot of casual drop by, oh, it's a $10 cover, because that's not what it is anymore. It's right. a ticketed thing. Right. People are coming with their friends. It's like something to do. But also because their music, and we have people that travel to see us play from all over the place. And um, these are people that have, like, let a song or a record or a group of songs kind of into their into their psyche and into their soul or whatever. When I think about the music that I love and the shows that I go see, it's like every song that I hear that I know I love takes me somewhere in my own life. So that to me is the most satisfying part of playing live because you can't, you don't see that when when you're, people are listening to your record and you're not there. You don't know what, you don't know what's happening. Right. But to see it in real time is very satisfying. Right, right. Are you always writing uh, songs, or do you have to kind of like hold yourself away and go, okay, I got to crank out some songs? Yeah, it's a little bit more of the second. I mean, I I don't write all the time, but I'm kind of collecting and musical ideas or, or song pieces all the time. But to actually sit down and finish songs for me kind of comes in waves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's you know I'll take typically like once I record a record, I'll I'll take time between then and when the the middle of the first part of the tour so that 
the old songs that have just been recorded still feel fresh because mm-hmm. even though they're not new for me anymore, they're new for the audience. And so right. you hate to get on stage and feel like your best song is the one you just wrote that's not on a record yet, and that's all you want to play. Right. It's sort of distracting for me. Right, right. Is there any uh, new music these days that you're listening to? That you're yeah. Into? Yeah. Um, I'm going to butcher his name, but there's this <laughs> guy from Canada named Leif Wolf, Wolfpeck that somebody sent me the other day that I really like. It's got a song called Elegy that's really blowing my mind. Um, on the record club, we, we just did this new two new records I really like. One is Rhiannon Giddens' Freedom Highway. She's okay. from the Carolina Chocolate Drops. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. She has this new record that she kind of based. New basement things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. She yeah. has this new record that she wrote um, kind of based on different kind of narratives of the kind of African-American experience starting kind of pre-slavery. Mm-hmm. It's really intense and really good. And then Lori McKenna's record, The Rifle, the, I can't remember the whole, it's a long name, but um, she's so great. She played our Moon River Festival and I got to know her and fell in love with her, her personally and then also her music. And that record's been on kind of repeat in our house. But it's the great thing about nowadays, there's like so many great records coming out all the yeah. time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was singles kind of being driven on iTunes and stuff like that, but you actually... I discover like, oh, I like that's the one song that I'm like, wait, this whole album's really good. Yeah. You know, it's kind of come back in a, you know, that way nowadays. We've even learned, like we've put out some singles here and there and people just don't really pay attention that much. Mm-hmm. But when we put out a record, that's when like, right. everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Single. Right. <laughs> like, give me <laughs> the record. Give me the stuff. Yeah. yeah. Give me the record. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so you guys have a big show coming up at the Stagecoach Music Festival yeah. in, in uh, California. How did that come up um, this year? Yeah, well, you know, we kind of send our agent like a list of festivals we want to play yeah. every couple of years, and we're way too like middle of the road for Coachella. You know, it's just like <laughs> it's like that. Um, I don't know who it was, John Stewart or somebody like did that video making up fake band names. Right, and all, right, all the right, kids right. were pretending like they knew who they were. Exactly. You know, so there's like, that's one thing interesting about country where we can kind of, even though we're not a country band, we're kind of like, there's a little bit of, we can kind of grab onto the coattails because they're, they're song people, you know, mm-hmm. so um, that was a festival I just thought, man, it'd be fun to go out to the desert and mm-hmm. play for these folks from, from Southern California yeah. and I feel like they'll resonate with what we do yeah. and it'll give us a good excuse to build a little West Coast run yeah. out of it, so right. really right. looking forward to that. Right, that's awesome. What's one of your favorite uh, stories on the road? Favorite stories on the road. Hmm. Let's see. That's some good roadkill stories. <laughs> uh, we got a turkey flew into the side of our van one time and took <laughs> off the side mirror. Uh, my favorite story on the road was when I was very young. I was touring and I played for the first time in New York. And it was probably like my 15th show I've ever played. And I was playing Tuesday at... at seven o'clock which you know New York everybody's still at work there were probably 12 people there including the staff and I started covering Ryan Adams on my sweet Carolina and he walked into the bar Uh. while I was playing the song and then afterwards I went up to him and was like you know what are you doing here and he's like well my friend's playing later come back and we'll, we'll, we'll we'll talk you know so I come back at 11 when his buddy's playing the place is packed by then, which was only like 50 people. It was a small place. Yeah, yeah. And I grabbed him and kind of was like, hey, I'm the guy from earlier. And we sat and talked at the bar for a minute. And after everybody left, uh, after, after everybody was finished playing, he got up and played and then invited me up to sing Sweet Carolina. Wow, wow. 
And then he rolled and never saw him again. <laughs> wow. So, you still haven't seen him. Right. <laughs> 12 years later. <laughs> so, Ryan, uh, uh, Drew's waiting to, to have Just want to say thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Tennessee